Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Good morning, church. Glad to have you here this hour, giving this, to, this hour to the Lord. It becomes a sacred place when we give this hour to the worship of the Lord, because Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name... There I am in the midst of them. So Jesus is right here with us this hour, and he's here to offer us his word. We're going to look at Isaiah 65 as we're talking about the Humanize series, and um, we're looking at Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. So I encourage you to break out your own Bible if you brought it or turn it on on your phone. Or if you didn't bring a Bible, we've got some in the back. We'd love for you to have one open in front of you. It'll help you to follow along. And as we open the scriptures, let's open our hearts in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would send us your word. Because when your word comes, our lives are changed. And when you speak, Lord, despair becomes hope. Darkness becomes life, and death loses its sting. So speak to us today, Jesus. In your name we pray. And the church said? Amen. Amen. At verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is God's word, and we're grateful. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, progress, progress. We're talking about progress today. And progress means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. If you're a a young family uh, with a, a little infant in the house, progress for parents of an infant means a dry diaper, that's progress, or a night's sleep, that's progress, right? Progress for someone who's training, like a swimmer, an athlete, sometimes progress means one second off the clock, one second faster. Progress for an investment banker or something might mean a portfolio going through the sky. Progress for a city like Colorado Springs, it can mean uh, jobs or tax base or schools or something about living together as a city. There's all kinds of different things that progress means. Progress to the Denver Broncos... I don't know what it means. I mean, I can't figure it out. If you figure it out, you tell me. But don't tell me the score of the Green Bay Packers. Maybe progress means beating the Green Bay Packers right now. But probably not. Yeah, probably not. 
But don't tell me the score because I'm recording it and I'm going to watch the train wreck later. Progress means a lot of different things. What does it mean to you? Some people use that word in kind of a political way. They kind of assume that their social perspective or their political perspective is the wave of the future. And so progress always means going their way. But progress doesn't always even mean leaning into the future. Sometimes progress means leaning back. Like during the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, progress meant going back to the sources, meant going back to the Bible. It meant going back to what God had had shown us before so that we would uh, go forward into a new future. And so progress, it doesn't always mean, you know, one thing. It means lots of things. The Renaissance had a similar attitude, yet it pulled what's beautiful out of the past into the future. Well, here at First Pres, I want to tell you what what progress means. I'm not sure why that's up. We're not there yet, guys. Thank you. But progress in... uh, at first, Pres, I want, to, I want to tell you what progress, we believe, means in our leadership. We believe progress means filling up these hours of worship, these four hours of worship that we've got. Because we believe that when God is glorified, lives are transformed. And when lives are transformed, God is glorified. And we believe that the Word of God can transform lives and bring people hope and a new future. And so we believe in what God is doing in these sacred hours. And we look at every empty seat, even on a Broncos game day, We look at every empty seat and we say, hey, that empty seat was an invitation that needed to be given. That empty seat was somebody who needed to be invited to come and to hear the transforming word of God and to be renewed and restored. Progress for us means kind of a return. We believe God is calling First Pres back to strength, the strength of worship that we used to know about a dozen years ago. We used to approach about 3,000 in worship. We believe God is calling us back to that, but even more than that, we are preparing. We're preparing to host revival right here. It'll change generations. So I hope you're praying for that. I hope you're believing in that. Sometimes I sit here in worship and I look at that baptismal font. You know, that comes from the 1800s. And I can't tell you how many souls have, have come, been baptized right there through that. That ministry continues, friends. But we've got to lean forward. But progress can mean all kinds of things. Progress for some folks in some seasons can simply mean faithfulness. Can simply mean faithfulness. For an addict, progress means one more day sober, right? For someone fighting cancer, progress means one more day up. And, and add it in life. For a marriage that's in trouble, progress can mean one more day holding on to that covenant and trusting that God is bringing something new. There are lots of different forms of progress. And folks, sometimes we make some, sometimes we don't. But listen, failure to make progress can be demoralizing. But when progress is blocked or taken from us, it can be absolutely dehumanizing. Dehumanizing. And here's what I want you to know, bottom line up front in this message. Your progress, it doesn't depend on you. Your progress depends on the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom that he has guaranteed is coming. 
But we can be demoralized when, when progress is hard. We can be dehumanized when progress is blocked from us. Why? Because we were made to want progress. We were made to want to move forward. There's something innate to us that wants to know that when I take a step forward, I'm getting somewhere. That when I make a sacrifice, it's for something. That I'm spending my life on something that matters. And that if I push ahead, my life is going to be fuller. My impact is going to be greater. My family, my kids, if I've got, if I've got kids, they're going to be better off than I am because of my sacrifice. We want progress. And I want you to understand that need inside you because if you don't know that that need is driving you, you might get blown off course when you're in those seasons of life where progress gets really hard and things get really slow. And you can't see what's coming. And you need that reminder again that your progress, your progress isn't guaranteed by your effort. Your progress is guaranteed by God. That's what Isaiah has to say to us today. That's what God wants us to know. That whether you feel like you're cruising down life's highway with the sun at your back, you know, and everything is just woo, or you come into church today in this sacred moment and you're looking for help from the Lord, Because every day you wake up, it feels like life is a slog and you are stepping uphill in the sand against the storm. Whether whether life is easy or hard right now, progress is happening by the hand of God to pull you and all that is toward a beautiful end, the kingdom of God. And it is on the way. And it is guaranteed. This is the picture Isaiah gives us today. Here at the end of the prophet Isaiah, the prophet's life kind of comes to this apex, comes this crescendo moment where by the Spirit of God he's given a glimpse of a kingdom that's coming. And Isaiah, he lived in a time when things were really rough for Israel. and Israel was about to go through a really difficult season. It was in the 700s B.C. And there were empires that were building up to come and destroy Israel. And, and things were going to get dark. And you think of prophets, you think of prophets as people who step forward with really bad news, don't you? Like the prophet is the bad news, you know, bears. That, that, that's not it. But the bad, they're just the bad news people. You know, they're the ones who come forward and they're like, you messed up and I can't get you out of it and things are going to get hard. And Isaiah's got some of that. But the, the big message of Isaiah is this, that though things may get tough and though it may get darker before the dawn, the big message of Isaiah is this, God has a surprising plan of grace and glory for his people. And it's on the way. And it's guaranteed. What's it going to look like? Look at verse 17. See, I will, what? Create a new heavens and a new earth. I will create. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. You can forget the stuff that you wish you couldn't remember. Be, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. What God will do changes how we live today because what I will create is a Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. What is, God says, I will create. 
I want you to know how monumental and earth-shattering of a promise that is. Nowhere in Scripture has it been revealed that God intends to act with that much force, with that much scope. God says, I'm bringing all the power of the Creator, and I'm not going to just work with the world as it is. I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. What's this telling us? It's telling us that we are not stuck to work with what we've got. This life isn't just as good as it gets. We don't have to just stick with, make the best of of the way it is, you know? God is bringing something new, and with all the power of the Creator, a new heaven and a new earth is coming. With God, it isn't just as good as it gets. It's as good as God gives. And his kingdom is on the way. Jesus, what does he call it? He calls it the kingdom of God. And in Luke chapter 4, he opened up Isaiah and he read from it. And he said, I'm telling you today that these things, these promises, they start right now in me. And in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist sent followers to ask who Jesus was. And Jesus said to him, just look at what I'm doing. I'm bringing sight to the blind, good news to the poor. I'm helping the lame to walk, and I'm proclaiming the kingdom. Just tell him that, because he knew that John the Baptist would know that Jesus was bringing the kingdom. And later on in Revelation 21, second to last chapter of Scripture, it's this phrase that pops up again. As John is showing us by the Holy Spirit what heaven is, the kingdom, eternal, in God's hand, in God's glory, in His presence forever. He says, look, I do a new thing. I create a new heavens and a new earth. Do you believe that your life could change? God promises to bring all the power of Creator to change all that is. Don't you think he could change your life? But it isn't just about a kingdom where joy is better than sadness or, 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 or the tears go away and you forget the bad things. There's some justice and some progress in it too. Look at verse 21. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. So what's that saying? It's saying no more working to fill some other guy's storehouse. When you work, you make progress. That's what it's saying. When you work, your hand delivers what you work back to you, not some other chump, you know? Now, I know you want me to show you a picture of heaven where there's no work, right? How many people want to vote for that? Like, I would put my vote in for that. Like, it's just like lounging on the beach in the Mediterranean, you know, sipping in the sunlight and whatever else. You know, just vacation land. But that's actually not what Scripture says about about where we're headed. There will be work. It's just not going to be the frustrating, cursed, broken kind of work that you're used to the work that's broken and cursed by the fall. When you work, you're going to feel good about it, and you're going to make progress, and you're going to feel good about being God's and Him being your God. Look at this, verse 22. What it's saying is my work, my sacrifice, it benefits me and and, and those around me. It isn't stolen from me. No longer, verse 22, will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of the tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in what? In vain. 
You know, when you feel like you're laboring in vain, it's so disheartening. But when you're laboring and someone else takes, it always takes, always takes the fruit of your labor, man, you can start to feel less than human. They will no longer labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. My heart breaks when I read that, that line because my heart breaks to think of any parent. And you know parents who've been in situations this dire. Any parent, anywhere in the world, some of these situations that we've got up in our, in our artwork around our church right now, any parent who would be tempted to look at their child and say, here's a child doomed to misfortune. This child is cursed because she's mine. No more. No more. You see, this kingdom that's coming, it isn't a world ruled by violence and danger where others can come and take what you have, have, have worked for. It isn't a dog-eat-dog world anymore. If you're watching carefully, it isn't even a wolf-eat-lamb world anymore, is it? It's the wolf and the lamb. They're going to lie down together. They're going to eat chickpeas and hummus and uh, impossible whoppers and stuff like that, you know? Have you tried one yet? I can't bring myself to do it. It, it. Here's the point. The violence and the danger that, that steals our progress, that robs our, our progress, that robs our hope, it's gone. There will be peace. And that's why we long for a kingdom like that. Because there's, there's something in each of us that knows when something's wrong. And no matter how much the world around us tells you, just get used to it. That's the way it is. Just learn to adapt to it because that's never going to change. Or just sit with that because that brokenness, that's just life. That's just life. And so you've got to get used to it. You've got to get numb to it. You've got to work your way past it. But that's the way life is when something inside your heart still says, no, it's wrong. It's wrong. And I believe a kingdom is coming where what is wrong and broken in this world It's going to be right. And friends, every time we recite the Lord's Prayer, every time we say that prayer that Pastor Jennifer led us in, we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then we say what? Your kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Do you ever just run past that? Like just trying to think of the next thing, right? Every time we pray that prayer and every time we say, Lord, thy kingdom come, we deepen that longing and we aggravate that expectation that the brokenness of this world is going to go away and be replaced by what's right. The Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches about the Lord's Prayer. It breaks down all the the petitions, the things we ask God. And the second petition is, Thy kingdom come. So this is what it says about that petition. It says, when we pray that, we're not just praying those three words. We pray four things. We pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, 
and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. What are we praying when we pray your kingdom come? We are praying that the deceptive, destructive kingdoms of this world get destroyed. And we are praying that the kingdom of grace gets to advance and make gains. And we are praying that you and I get to be part of it and that others get to be part of it and that we don't fall away, that we are kept in it. And lastly, we are praying, we are praying, we are praying that God would hurry it up. Amen? Hurry it up. Because the world I'm living in has problems. Not small problems, big problems. And the kingdom I'm trying to operate in is broken. Not just a little bent. It's sick. And I'm praying that God would bring his kingdom and would hurry it up. You might have heard the saying about how the arc of the moral universe bends toward Justice. It actually came from uh, an abolitionist, um, uh, I think, Unitarian, I think, minister, an unorthodox guy who kind of left the faith. But a guy named Theodore Parker, you're like, where are we going? Okay, hang on. (laughs) A guy named Theodore Parker made this quote, 1850s. He said this, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The ark is a long one. My eye reaches but a little ways. But from what I see, I am sure it bends towards justice. What's he saying? He's saying in that quote that the the moral arc of the universe always bends towards justice. It's like the horizon of the earth where you can kind of see the curvature, but my eye's too small. I can't really see where it goes, but I hope it's going to a good place. I really long that there's going to be progress. I really hope that it tends towards justice. You see, I just hope for it, don't you? We hope that things are going to get better. But listen, here's the thing. I don't actually believe in automatic upward march of humanity. I don't actually believe in the automatic things getting better over time. I don't actually believe that time plus education plus technology plus socialization plus, plus te- whatever else, that that's going to naturally lend toward a better humanity. I believe the problem is, is bigger than that. The sickness is deeper than that. And in fact, uh, when Abraham Lincoln and when Martin Luther King Jr., they used that quote, they believed the problem was bigger than that too. Because the scriptures, you see, the scriptures don't teach us that we can heal the sickness of humanity by a firm resolve and effort. The scriptures tell us that without, without the intervening grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're lost. And if the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice or goodness or anything true, it's because God bends it, not you and I. It's because the kingdom of God has such gravity that it's coming, pulls us toward it. When progress is hard or slow, we get frustrated, we feel stuck. But when progress is stolen from us, we feel less than human. And friends, Jesus, as we've been talking about in the series, Jesus is our model for humanity. Jesus is the humanity the world needs. And the more we act like Jesus, the more human we are. And the more we want to help others to live out their God-given humanity. So one of the fun things of the series has been that we could, we could emphasize, we could share stories from partner ministries that reach out to people 
people who are in stuck places and help them to live out their God-given humanity. One of those agencies is Family Life Services. And so I want you to watch a little video. So you're going to hear in here our friend talking about FLS, FLS, that's Family Life Services. Let's watch this video. When I arrived at FLS, I was probably in a very bad spot in my life. I had done everything I could in my power and my ability to survive and live life. I was living in a garage room with my parents who were doing their best to help me, but that wasn't enough. Um, I needed to sustain my life and there was no way that I was going to do that in, one, in a garage. The Lord was still there for me, but I just didn't know where, how, why am I here? Um, so when I arrived at FLS, I was uh, broken and um, hoping someone could help me. Coming from a person who was raised with very strong morals and values and strong and independent, and having that pretty much taken from me through life experiences, FLS really provided me um, the ability to see past the barriers. So piece by piece, I was able to break down my barriers and recognize that I'm skilled, I'm competent, I'm favored, and all I need to do is push those things forward in order to be successful. So. I am going to definitely contribute my current success to my experience at FLS. Um, I was confused, lost, three kids, nowhere to go, thought I was not capable of anything, to now um, live in a town home, and I have the same income I had when I was in FLS. How does it happen? That's because I was able to see who I was. I'm thriving, I'm more resourceful, I use those same resources to help out the people I work with now in the social service fields. I'm attending school full time, getting my master's degree in business health and I'm a job awaiting for me as soon as I'm done. So the ground is moving faster than I can keep up, but I'm gonna run, I'm gonna get there and uh, I do contribute that to my FLS peers who I still keep in contact with and we just continue to motivate each other. So it doesn't just stop at FLS, it goes after that. Moms build futures here. We just love being a part of stuff like this. We love that being a part of First Pres means we get to be part of stuff like this. I hope you'll talk to Tanya about FLS. She's sitting right there. But we love to be partnered with places where people whose progress is being robbed from them, is being taken from them, to the point where they feel like, why should I get up? Why should I strive? Why should I push ahead? When every time I take a step forward, something steps in and blocks it or robs it from me, where moms and dads were tempted to look at their kids and feel in their heart of hearts, this child, my child, is a child doomed to misfortune. We love to be a part of places where Jesus changes all that, where people come in and they help and they restore, and with the love of Jesus, the kingdom of God starts to come on display, and there's a hope, and there's a future. Friends, who will guarantee its coming? Who can guarantee the coming of the kingdom of God? I want you to look at this last verse, this last verse in our passage. What kind of a world do you want to live in? What world do you want to be in? I want this picture painted by Isaiah. I want the kingdom illustrated by Jesus, demonstrated by Jesus. What do I want for the world? I want an end to the kingdoms of, of, of dehumanizing, destructive, deceptive perversity, demoralizing things in this world. I want an end to it. I want the health. I want the wholeness. I want the, I want the humanity of the kingdom of God on display in Jesus Christ. 
Who will guarantee its coming? Look at verse 25. Before they call, I'll answer. God's already on the way. In verse 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion and the ox, the lion will eat straw like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. What is that telling us? It looks cute, right? It's a Christmas card, isn't it? Listen now. It says the serpent will eat what? Dust. Dust. We know that serpent. This verse doesn't come out of a vacuum. That serpent we met in Genesis chapter 3, that serpent, that ancient deceiver, he's the one who came and he pulled us, he deceived us out of the kingdom of God and into the broken kingdom in which we sit. And when he did that, God spoke to him in Genesis 3. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat what? Dust all the days of your life. Serpent will eat dust. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. What's going on here? That old serpent, that old snake, he gets his shot. He gets to bite the heel. He gets to bite the heel of the daughter of Eve, the son of man, he gets to bite the heel of Jesus. But when he bites the heel, that heel crushes the head. And the kingdom of death and of lies and of deception, it's over. Because the bite that's delivered is the crushing blow. As the praise team comes out, I just want you to see this. I want you to know this as a gift. You know, the sermon I, I just preached... It's not that great of a sermon. That's okay, I know that. (laughs) I preached it four times. I know. But listen, I want you to see verse 25. I want you to take this as a gift. Listen, the, the wolf and the lion and the serpent, the flesh, the world, and the devil all the ravishness of the wolf and how it tears you apart, all the power of the world and how it frightens you and chases you across the plains, all the deception of the serpent and all his poison that rots you from the inside, the wolf and the lion and the serpent, the serpent eats dust. They get their day. They get to make their play. They get to push against the kingdom of God. And they deliver all of their poison. They pour it out on the Son of Man. They pour out everything they've got. And Jesus, the Son of Man, He takes it. He takes it on Himself. On that one day, some years ago, when Jesus of Nazareth took a cross piece across his shoulders and he walked beaten and bruised outside of the gates of Jerusalem and he, he, take, he took those steps up to a small crest of a hill, the stones of Golgotha, and he died on the cross. That's the bite. And all of the poison was delivered 
and all of the ravenousness of the wolf was poured out on him. And all the, all the bloodthirst of the lion was poured out on Jesus. And he took it all and all the harm and all the destruction. It was all laid on him as he died on the cross for our sins. And there he died. And nearby he laid. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Because of that, there is a mountain. And God can step forward and say to you, no matter your progress today, no matter your lack of progress, no matter whether you feel like you're running fast and free or you feel like you are thick in the mud of life, no matter what, there is a mountain. And on that mountain, the wolf and the lion, the serpent, they don't win. They can do no harm. All of their harm and destruction has been poured out already. And now Christ, and now Christ is the king who guarantees the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are the one with the courage to face down the wolf and the lion and to take the serpent's bite and all of his poison and that you're the conquering king, the one who rose from the dead so that us this morning, we can believe. We can believe. We can have hope that life isn't just about making the best of it as it is, but that in you, there's a victorious kingdom ahead and we can see it, we can taste it, we can almost, Lord, we can almost feel ourselves in it. Help us, Lord, to believe and to follow you and to trust and to step forward one more day to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez Podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.